0: Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good to see all of you. Good to have you guys online joining us whenever it is that you're joining us and being part of this Kingdom Moment. I'm Greg Boyd, one of the teaching pastors here at Woodland Hills Church. Um, I have an important message I want to give, but before we get to that message, uh, there's something I want to do. A part of uh, the Woodland Hills Civic Engagement Team, chaired by none other than our beloved Cedric Baker. And... uh, uh, we, the, the whole purpose of this team is to be asking the question, how can we help the community of Woodland Hills Church be engaged in, in, in social, civic issues in a distinct kingdom kind of way? And one of the things that we're very aware of and want to try to correct is that uh, most of us, we have a pretty myopic view of, of, of the news. Our, our, news well, our, our news stations, our primary news stations, um, You know, they have a half hour, and they got to cram all the news of the world in a half hour, and they all have to worry about ratings, so they want to only give the news that that most Americans are interested in. That means that there's a lot of stuff that goes on around the globe that either doesn't get reported, or maybe it gets reported a little bit, but then it gets quickly forgotten about. And we're aware that as kingdom people, we're not to be parochial in our thinking, uh, not to just be interested in what concerns America, uh, but rather, we're, we're concerned about what affects humanity. And, uh, and so we thought it would be good from time to time to just highlight one thing that's going on around the globe, and a, a need, some people who are in crisis, and then just have a, a prayer for them. And there's a lot of things going on at any given time, and, and, and so it's a little bit arbitrary what you pick because there's this massive amounts of suffering everywhere, and you could always wonder, well, why didn't you pick this group or that group or whatever? But so we just go according to how we kind of feel led, and so this morning we wanted to just highlight Pakistan. Uh, It was reported on several weeks ago, but it's been forgotten about. But the misery still goes on. Um, We alluded to this a little bit last week, but in Pakistan they've had just uh, well, first they were hit with this incredible drought and 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 this heat wave. Uh, India and Pakistan, the the temperature got up to 124 degrees Fahrenheit, and and it was sustained for a while, and it just dried up everything, and then that was followed by the monsoon season starting in June, and, and the rains came in 10 times harder than they usually come. It was just unprecedented, and on top of that, because of all the heat wave, the glaciers there have been melting at an unprecedented rate, and that's created a massive flood in Pakistan. A third of the country is underwater, and it's not receding quickly. It's, it's, they think it's going to take another two months before it's any significant kind of receding. It's, just, it's, it's terrible. 1,500 or almost 1,500 people have lost their lives, 500 of them, 500 of them being children, 1.2 million homes were destroyed. Overall, 33 million people were affected by this. There's right now around 600,000 folks that are living in this camp, this makeshift camp, in, in, in these terrible conditions, but they've got nowhere else to go. Uh, it's gutted the economy, this flood, and, and it's destroyed 45% of the agriculture. And so right now, there's... Innumerable people who have, uh, don't have good access to food or to drinking water. Water's all around them, but it's not drinkable. And one of the things that, that health officials are really concerned with is that uh, with all this stagnant water just sitting there, it's been a, it's a breeding ground for mosquitoes. And we here in Minnesota know how pleasant those little critters are. And, and so on top of making everything miserable because the mosquitoes are really worried about the spread of dengue fever, which is carried by mosquitoes, these folks are in desperate condition. And so we want to just hold them up and remind us to be praying for these folks. Keep them in prayer. And I'd like to lead us in a congregational prayer right now on behalf of the people of Pakistan. So pray with me. Abba Father, we know that you love the folks of Pakistan with a perfect everlasting love just the way you love us. And we know, Lord, that your heart is grieved as you see the suffering, the massive suffering that is going on here. Um, And Lord, as this world is just wobbling because of the climate change and chaos is going on, these folks have been hit so hard. And we want to use the authority that you've given us as kingdom people, the say-so, the unique say-so you've given us as kingdom people, to affect what goes on in this world. And we want to cash that in right now on behalf of the people of Pakistan. Lord, Uh, raise up folks around the globe and nations around the globe who can intercede and help these folks, providing aid for these folks, food for these folks, drinking water for these folks. We pray against the spread of disease. We know the enemy is involved in that. would love to just Acerbate the, the, the misery that's going on, accelerate it and intensify it, but we come against Him in Jesus' name and stand on the authority of the cross. And we pray, Lord God, that you'll be working through the misery, through the, the, the terrible, terrible stuff that's going on there. Lord, be at work in the way that only you can to bring a peace, to alleviate misery, and ultimately be working to bring good out of evil, as you always do. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to be your people and giving us the power to intercede on behalf of others. Help us to not forget those around the globe that are hurting and miserable and suffering and keep them in our prayers in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 All right. Amen. I think that's a good thing to do. We're we to have a global awareness. Know what's going on around the world. Okay, uh, we, we're in this series on, or well, the series is, is cross-examination, but we're kind of in a mini-series on, on, on God as judge. Not what you consider the most light of topics, the judgment of God, and can we trust God as judge? That's an important topic because only insofar as we trust God to be a good judge can we let go of all of our judgments. And that's our call, is to let go of all judgments so that we can live in love as Christ loved us and gave His life for us. And we saw last week that—in well, fact, we've seen the last couple weeks—that God has a profound love for the earth and the animal kingdom. And that God entrusted us, human beings, made in his image to take care of, to provide for, to see to the flourishing, and assume responsibility for the earth and the animal kingdom. The Bible consistently portrays the earth and the animal kingdom as God's property and God's beloved pets. And God entrusts this this precious property and these precious pets to us. Our first mandate, first thing he tells us. Is to have dominion over the earth and the animal kingdom. Dominion not in a sense of dominating, but dominion in the way that God has dominion over us. He lovingly cares for us. He has our interest and our well-being in mind and all that he does. So also we're to extend that to the earth and the animal kingdom. And we've seen that, that because we're the made in the image of God, caretakers of this creation, because of that, there's that organic connection According to the Bible, this organic connection between uh, human beings and the earth. Um, our well-being is wrapped up in the well-being of the earth. And the well-being of the earth is wrapped up in our well-being. Because we're the ones who are given responsibility for this. As human beings go, so the world goes. Passages that I didn't have a chance to get to, but I want to draw attention to it right now. It really illustrates this point well. It's Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. Hosea says, hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. For the Lord has an indictment against the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or loyalty and no knowledge of God in the land. Swearing, lying, and murder Stealing and adultery are breaking out. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. You guys are in that merry-go-round of violence, retaliation. And because of all that sin, Hosea says, Therefore, therefore, the land mourns, and all who live in it languish. Together with the wild animal and the birds of the air and even the fish of the sea are perishing. Because Israel has turned away from God, and to turn away from God is to turn away from the source of life, which is to say you're, you're seeking death. Because they've turned away from God, they're seeing death starting to encroach on them and on the, the land and the animals that they're entrusted with. Notice that it doesn't say that God killed the animals, God killed the wildlife, the birds, and the fish. No, it was, it's human sin that does that. It's a natural consequence. As human beings go, so the earth and the animal kingdom go. We saw that with the flood story several weeks ago. When human beings were corrupt, the word there is shachat, we corrupted the the, the earth. Same word, shachat. Our corruption leads to the corruption of the earth. And that corruption, when it's fully grown, it brings shachat back on us again. And now it's destruction. Our corruption corrupts the earth, and that corruption of the earth leads to the destruction of humanity. As humans go, so the earth goes. Our well-being is wrapped up together. One way that I I find it helpful to think about, try this on, it's just an analogy, but I I think of the earth and the atmosphere as sort of our second layer of skin. You know, we've got this layer of skin, and it's there to protect us from things and to keep us alive. But beyond that, we've got a second layer of skin, which is the earth and the atmosphere. And uh, It protects us from the the harsh cosmos out there and and from the radiation of the sun. uh, That second coating of skin is there to make sure that just the right amount of sun gets in and light gets in and heat gets in and, and the rest is released. And this second coat of skin that we all wear, we share together. In this sense, humanity is all wrapped up with one another. We stand or fall together, and that's kind of how the Bible presents things. So, of course, when we harm the earth and the animal kingdom, we're harming ourselves. No less so than if you're taking a razor and cutting yourself. Our well-being is wrapped up with their well-being because we're organic related by God's own design. So Jesus taught us to learn the lesson of the fig tree. Brought it up a number of times, which is that when you when you see things, when you see life starting to happen, you know summer is coming. When the fig tree's branches are soft and starting to bloom. You know that summer's on, away, on its way. But by the same means, you know that when things start to die, you know winter is coming. There's a momentum to, to things. And Jesus is saying, keep your eyes open about that. Know the direction that you're going in. Well, as people who know that we are called to care for the earth and the animal kingdom, we've got to have our, be willing to look with honest, objective eyes at how things are going. Look around this world, and do you see things coming to life? Is, is, is it blooming? Is it blossoming? Getting better and better, or do we see things dying? And as we showed last week, the kind of sobering interview we had with George, the party guy. Uh, <laughs> love you, George. Um, you know, it's, it's our land is mourning, to use Hosea's language. And the people are languishing. We're seeing... Social chaos intensifying, not only here in America, but around the globe. People are languishing, and the wild animals are languishing, and the birds of the air are languishing, and the fish in the sea are languishing, and they're perishing. I read this article several weeks ago that that said that at the current rate at which the ocean is becoming acidic, its acidity is, is, is intensifying, at the current rate, there won't be any edible fish left in the ocean by the year 2050. The perishing, And we're losing 150 to 200 species a day. You look around. The land is mourning. And why is that? Well, Hosea's day is because of Israel's sin. The lying and, and, and the cheating and the stealing and the murdering and the vengeance and the hatred and all that was going on. Do we see any of that going on today? <laughs> it's, it goes without saying. Can we see a connection here? Do you see a connection here? In some ways, nature is a mirror, our mirror. It was our first mandate, and I've always said it's still the best barometer to tell us how we're doing. As humans go, so the earth goes. The earth right now is reeling. It's suffering. It's, it's mourning, and animals are disappearing, and it's getting very dangerous. And folks, that's a reflection on us. And that's not just about how much CO2 we're pumping into the atmosphere. Some folks think that we're totally responsible for this. Others think that we just have little influence on it. But even apart from that, there's an organic connection here. When we're well, the earth will be well. But when we're sick, the earth is sick. And now look at it. It is sick. And that's a reflection of our sickness. And God is allowing this, obviously. God is on his throne. God's allowing this. And that means that this is a judgment of God. Certainly not a blessing from God. This is a judgment. And judgments always are when God simply lets us go down the path that we are going down. With a grieving heart, wishing we weren't. He tries to keep us from going in this direction. But there comes a point, because God is not a course of God. There comes a point where God's got to let us go. He's got no choice but to let us go and to suffer the consequences of our sin. As a collective whole. And that is what is going on now. And I don't know if this is the final judgment that we're approaching or if it's just a judgment that we're, we're facing. But then again, the New Testament tells us, showed this early on in this series, that we're to be a people who live with the expectation, the assumption that this final judgment, Jesus' second coming and this final judgment, will take place in our lifetime. We're to live that way as though this could happen in our lifetime. And Jesus tells us to have our eyes open about the momentum, the direction that things are going. As I look at this world right now, it's not hard for me to believe that we are facing the final judgment. I don't know that. But I am going to live as though that were true because that's how the New Testament tells us to live. And I encourage you to adopt that same mindset. Live as though this final judgment is true. And see, as we come upon this judgment, this is found throughout the whole Bible— the first thing that the people of God are called to do, as we see, we've learned the lesson of the fig tree, and we see judgment is, is upon us, the first job for us is to repent. Repent of everything that this judgment is coming on us for. Repent of all the reasons that this judgment is here. And so our job is to turn and turn from the, the way of living in the world and, and, and to turn to embracing our call to love God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to love the earth and the animal kingdom. To turn from this world's perspective, which we've cultivated the last several hundred years, of just looking at the earth and the animal kingdom as though they only existed for our convenience. Our only job is to use them and, and to Find pleasure in them and help use them to improve our lives. No, we have to turn from that. That's what the word repentance means. Turn from that mindset and and, and acknowledge the inherent value and beauty of the earth and the animal kingdom. I encourage you to check out that class that we're going to be teaching on on falling in love with nature. It's so important because we're called to be in love with nature. And and not to worship nature or anything like that, but to have this this attitude that we want to care for and therefore sacrifice for the good of of the, the earth and the animal kingdom. And, and, and so I've called us to be living in this journey of asking the question, what conveniences can I sacrifice for the sake of the earth, the well-being of the earth and the animal kingdom? How can I better love God, better love my neighbor, better love the earth and the animal kingdom? That's the question we should be living in 24-7. And see, what we need to remember is that every act of love is an investment in your future. Uh, in the end, love's the only thing we take with us, Folks. Because in, when God establishes his eternal kingdom on a renewed earth, um, it will all be defined by God's love. God's love will define every, every square inch of the cosmos. And, and, and only what's compatible with God's love will be there. It, it, there's no contamination in the eternal kingdom. And the final judgment really is just God's way of purging from us everything that's not compatible with love. Because we can't take it with us. And so this time of repentance, folks, is the time for us to, as as we see, and the New Testament talks this way all the time, as we see the day approaching, and it could very well be approaching, as we see that, this is the time for us to intensify our commitment to loving God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul, loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving the earth, the animal kingdom, and purging from our life everything that's inconsistent with that. We've got to repent of our self-centeredness, repent of our greed. Repent of all the ways that we've acquiesced to the values of Western culture. Repent of our individualism. Repent of our apathy towards the poor and the oppressed. Repent of our apathy towards the earth and the animal kingdom. Turn from all of that. Purge it from your life. Because it's going to be purged later on, and the whole teaching of the New Testament is that it's better for us to purge it now than to have it purged later on. Turn from that and embrace the love of God for for God, for the earth and the animal kingdom, and for your neighbor. And see, really... Yeah, the, it, it, as we see the, the approaching, that, that intensifies, it should intensify our commitment. But really, this is the way that we should be living all along. This is what, sorry, I got a piece of ice there. This is what humans beings, we're, we're called to do from the start. Our first mandate, take care of the earth, the animal kingdom. And Jesus' greatest command, he says, is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, But he says, you can't say that without saying the second, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is what we're called to be doing all along. And I submit to you, if we as a species had been even trying to do this at all, we wouldn't have got ourselves in the mess that we're in right now. The mess we're in right now is a result of, there's no knowledge of God in the land. We've we've forgotten God. And we're not living with other-oriented love. We tend to gravitate towards self-centeredness, and we've been exploiting the earth and the animal kingdom. And that's why we're in the the trouble that we're in right now. People of God, we have to turn from that and live according to God's mandates. Amen? Okay, that's my way of review. Now, here's a new... Well, that's review. With a little added stuff. What I want us to see this morning is this. And this is counterintuitive, but it's a profoundly beautiful truth. And that is, when God sees that he's got no choice but to allow us to go down the self-destructive path that we're going. When God allows us to fall under divine judgment, because that's what divine judgment is, God does it with a redemptive motive. Um, God does this in the hope that the people who are coming under judgment will learn the hard way what they couldn't have learned the easy way just by listening to him and obeying him. God... We often when we think about divine judgments, in fact, I think usually people think God is being ticked off. He's angry. He wants to get even. He's that forward with the thunderbolt. Oh, these humans! I'm so sick of them and Geez, bash us. But see, God's heart in bringing this judgment, we've seen before that it, 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 His heart is filled with grief. Uh, it's, it's not what but Jesus, when, when, when he's riding into Jerusalem, uh, and he announces this judgment coming on Jerusalem, he's crying. Kleao is the Greek word; it can mean wailing. This is the heart of God because Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. God's heart, when he sees he has to do this, is sorrow, and God gets mad at things that when things he values and people he loves are are devalued. Of course, there's anger there, but the motive in, in bringing this isn't one of anger or retaliation. No, God is other-oriented love, and all that God does comes out of that other-oriented love. And so God's heart grieves. In fact, if we understand it rightly, no one hurts more in a divine judgment than God. Because you, you hurt to the degree that you love. And when you and your loved ones are, are, are falling under pain and coming under distress, yeah, you, you, that causes you to grieve. But no one loves more than God, so the judgment's literally, this hurts God more than it hurts us. But we also see now that when God does this, he does it with a redemptive mode of. You see this in the cross. As with everything else, the cross is the full revelation of God. On Good Friday, Jesus bears the judgment of God. Uh, he, he suffers the natural death consequences that, that come with all sin. He bears the sin of the world and the consequences of the sin of the world. And that's what a divine judgment is. But the reason Jesus suffers that divine judgment on Good Friday, it's not an end in itself. It's not the end of the story. Judgment is never the end of God's story. (laughs) No, the reason he suffers this is to get to Easter morning and and, and to rise victoriously from the dead. And by doing this, to see the creation and and all of God's people being liberated from the bondage that they've been in. Uh, The goal of the judgment is, is to see the salvation of people. God's motives... And this reveals how, this reveals how God and why God always judges. His ultimate motive is, is one of salvation. Even in bringing judgment, God has our best interests in mind. And how could it be otherwise? If we really believe that God is, his very essence is other-oriented love, then that means there's nothing that God does that, that is contrary to love, that comes from any other motive. God's always operating of this, the the cross-like love. And so in bringing judgment, God brings it out of love and with a grieving heart. But his heart is to see people saved. Uh, One of the most amazing things is that you find this theme that God judges for the purpose of redemption, you find it sprinkled throughout the Bible. Even throughout the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, folks, were because God doesn't coerce folks into believing true things, He influences them as much as possible, but there comes a point where he just has to accept them as they are. And so we find in the Old Testament, these folks were kind of culturally conditioned to think of God the way that other ancient Near Eastern people thought about God. And so you find some pictures of God in the Old Testament that look very much like the vicious, ferocious gods of the ancient Near East. But what's amazing is that time and time again, you find that when God is talking about a judgment coming, all of a sudden, he'll start talking about salvation. Nevertheless, yes, it's going to be a judgment, but nevertheless, I'm going to save you, I'm going to restore you, I'm going to redeem you. And what's amazing is that you never find anything like that in the ancient Near East. No one talks about God judging enemies for the purpose of loving them and saving them and restoring them, but you find that in the Old Testament. There's one great indication that here the Holy Spirit is breaking through all their cultural presuppositions to reveal the truth about who God is. And you know it's the truth because it conforms to what God reveals about himself on the cross. And the cross is the definitive revelation of God. I only have time to, to, to give you two examples of this. If you want other examples, you can check out my book, cross, uh, cross Vision. Or if you're an academic type, look at Crucifixion of the Warrior God. Got tons of examples there. But one example is Isaiah 19. Now here, uh, the Lord is speaking a judgment against Egypt. Egypt was one of Israel's arch enemies. Uh, they were the ones who kept Israel in bondage for 400 years. Um, And God's announcing a judgment coming on them because of their rebellion and the treatment of people and all the rest. The Lord says, I'm bringing a judgment on you. I'm going to let you suffer the consequences of your sin. Interestingly enough, when God does that, guess what? The land starts to suffer. He says, Egypt's going to turn into a wasteland, and the Nile is going to dry up. And everything in Egypt depends on that Nile. And, uh, And because that basically says, civilization, as you know, it's going to come to an end. It's a terrible judgment. And up to this point, it sounds like God's just angry. He said, we're going to wipe you out and all the rest. But then out of nowhere, it's not out of nowhere. It comes right from the Holy Spirit. We read this. Isaiah 19, verse 21 and 22. He says, after all this terrible judgment, he says, the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. Oh, yes. And the Egyptians will know the Lord on that day. And they'll worship with sacrifice and burnt offering." And they'll make vows to the Lord and perform them, just like the Israelites are supposed to be doing. And the Lord will strike, listen to this now. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. And they will return to the Lord, and He will listen to their supplications and heal them. So Egypt's coming under this, yeah, they're the bad guys. And, and they're going to get what's coming to them, they're going to reap what they're going to sow. And it's going to be terrible. But God says, as you're going through this, the end result will be that you're going to know me. Yeah, You're going to know me, and, and, and you're going to be worshiping me along with my people, and offering sacrifices along with my people, and making vows, and keeping them. You're going to learn how to be a faithful people. You're going to come into the covenant that I have with Israel. Yeah, I'm going to strike you. And by striking, he just means I'm going to let this happen to you. I'm going to let you go down this road. But by striking you, I'm going to heal you. The purpose of the striking is to heal. Whenever God brings the people through a Good Friday experience, it's for the purpose of getting to Easter morning. Hallelujah. Of restoring them. Of, of, of seeing them reconciled. And it gets even better than that. He goes on to the next verse, and he says this. In that day—now, that's a phrase you find throughout the Bible. That day is the day of the final judgment. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. And we, and we, we don't see this happening. You haven't seen this in history. This is still in the future. And I think it's a symbolic representation of the kind of things that we're going to see here in the future. But he says this. In that day, in the end, there will be a highway— from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. <laughs> now, you got to know that Assyria, if, if, if Egypt was like arch enemy number one of Israel, well Assyria is arch enemy number two, and sometimes it was arch enemy number one. And Egypt was an arch enemy of Assyria, and Assyria was an arch enemy of Egypt. These folks just love to kill each other. And Assyria was a brutal nation. They invented impaling and other forms of torture. They were nasty. And yet here, as God's in the middle of this, announcing this judgment coming, he says, Assyria is going to join in the party. And and, and there's going to be a roadway between Assyria and Egypt. They're going to be friends with one another, visiting one another, and they're going to be worshiping together. And on that day, he says, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing in the midst of the earth. All three of these. Mortal enemies. And as Isaiah's writing this, Assyria in particular, they're threatening to invade. And yet Isaiah, from the the unction of the Holy Spirit, gets this revelation. He says, And and, and there'll be a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. (laughs) Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my heritage. Hallelujah. Arch enemies transformed into friends. It's, 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 it's amazing. And so what we're seeing here is that God promises that Egypt's going to be restored and healed. He strikes, but he strikes for the purpose of healing. His motive is always redemptive and salvation. But see, for Egypt to be totally healed, Assyria's got to be healed. And Egypt's relationship with Assyria has to be healed. And, and for those two to be healed, Israel's got to be healed. And the relationship between Israel and, and, and Assyria and Egypt has got to be healed. And it just reveals this truth that Martin Luther King captured so brilliantly that until everybody is set free, none of us are truly free. For the full healing of any one nation, it involves the healing of all the nations because it's all interrelated. And, and, and humanity, in the end, ultimately stands or falls together. And so, here in the middle of announcing this judgment, God. Just, Reveals this revelatory plan of salvation. That in the end, it's going to it end spectacularly well on that day. Now getting, uh, getting towards that day, there may be a whole lot of conflict and bloodshed. But on that day, praise God, all will be healed, all will be reconciled. We know from Colossians 1, 19, and other passages that even now God is at work... Reconciling all things in heaven and on earth by means of the cross. By means of that other-oriented, self-sacrificial love, God is reconciling all things. When God brings judgment, it's for the purpose of healing. When God allows any people group to go through a Good Friday experience, you gotta know it's for the purpose of getting to Easter morning, when all will be reconciled, redeemed, and all evil will be purged, and all will reflect the glory of God. Here's the second passage. And this one's even better. Uh, and this is like one of my most favorite passages. I quote this one, the first part of this a lot, because it's so good. Romans 8, verses 18 through 23. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Just listen to that one. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed To us, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Listen to this. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I should have included the verse that comes five verses later when he says in verse 28 We know that all things work together for the better for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. In all things, God is working with us for the better. Now, God's doing that everywhere with everybody. But see, it's only those who know that they're called that are looking for this. And, and that therefore are volitionally, uh, willingly cooperating with God in this. So let's break this down. The sufferings of this present world can't be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. I, I can never get over that passage. It's so outlandish when you consider the sufferings of this present age. Um, the, um, the nightmares that people sometimes go through, that children sometimes go through, it's just absolutely unthinkable Terrible stuff happens. And yet Paul has the, the audacity to say that, that all the sufferings of this present age can't hold a candle to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Um, which just tells us that the glory that's going to be revealed to us is unimaginably glorious. I can't imagine. I personally can't. I've tried. I have try. I try all the time. And I think it's good for us to try to imagine a glory, which is so great that it renders all of the sufferings of this present age, yours, mine, the children of the Holocaust, and throw in it, whoever else you want. It renders it all insignificant. I can't imagine that. Which just tells me that it, the final state of things is going to be unimaginably beautiful, glorious. Lock this in. However terrible things get, and folks, uh, and this is why I just had this on my heart, uh, uh, even to to, to do the series, is that all indications are, in all probability, things are going to get worse and worse at a faster and faster rate. And I feel a responsibility to have us prepare for this, because it's already happening. It's here. Uh, And as we see the chaos in society intensifying, and as we see the chaos in the climate intensifying, this world starts to wobble. Lock this in, however bad it gets, and it can get really bad. We're going through a Good Friday season here. I don't know if it's the final judgment or not, but it's a Good Friday season. It's a, a time of judgment, and it's going to get uglier and uglier. But as we do that, remember this. Never forget this. Lock this in. Write it down. The story ends well. If the story ends spectacularly well. In the end, it will be okay, it'll be beautiful. I have to say it to myself when I see the suffering that's going on in this world, and it just grieves your heart. I just remind myself, it's going to be worth it. What it means to trust God as a judge is that it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. You don't have to see how it's going to be worth it to understand it. You just have to believe that and have faith in that and trust in the character of our God who promises us that it's not only going to be worth it, it's going to be incomparably worth it. Lock that in and never forget it. Oh, the sufferings of this present age can't be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And then he says the current creation is is, is waiting and longing for the revelation of the children of God. The revealing of the the, the true children who now are walking in the calling that God gave us. And see, the creation is waiting for this because... Well, as humans go, so the earth goes. We, we can't see the new earth, the transformation of the earth happen until those who were entrusted to care for the earth, who are put in charge of this earth, until we are restored. And so the creation, in a sense, is waiting for us to get our act together and start being the children of God that God called us to be, the image of God bears that God called us to be. And when that is revealed, well, then the creation will be restored. But now it's in this groaning, it's longing for this. And the current creation groans, Paul says, because... Well, no, it's been subjected to futility. The word there's m- m- mateotes" and, 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 and it can mean frustration. Nothing works right. Nothing is quite the way it's supposed to be. It's part of this bondage of decay that Paul talks about. We've been subjected to this. Everything dies. Uh, you know, it's, it's, this, this world as it currently is isn't the world that God had, had intended. It's a world filled with violence and ugliness and pain and, and all of that. And God subjected this world to that. Paul here is referring to the Genesis narrative, story of Adam and Eve, where, where when human beings rebelled against God, God allowed that to happen. He gave us that free will. And God is the one who set up the laws of cause and effect that operate in this world. So here's this, the truth, is that when human beings turn from God and turn towards darkness, we come under the power of darkness. That's just the natural consequence of our turning away from God. And so we were supposed to be the landlords of the earth and the animal kingdom, but we turned from God and now we've invited powers of darkness into our lives and, 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 and into the life of creation. And, and they corrupt shachat, the flood story. They're always at work corrupting things. But see, God did this. He allowed this to happen, subjecting his creation to futility in the hope with a goal of seeing everything set free Eventually. God saw that now that we, the landlords of the creation, are in bondage to the powers, the only way to get to that unimaginable glory that he has in store for us and for all creation, the only way to get there is to go through this creation that's full of frustration, full of pain, this body of decay, this groaning creation. The world as it currently is wasn't designed to make us happy. It was designed to mature us, to grow us. The early church saw this so, so well. It was, it was a pedagogical thing. God saw that. Now we need to go through this in order to get to the unimaginable glory that awaits us, which has been like the, the end game all along. So the sufferings of this present age, this bondage of decay, the aches and the pains that we go through, and sometimes the nightmares that we go through, it's not just gratuitous suffering. Or at least it doesn't have to be. No, Paul describes it as labor pains. This groaning creation, it's, it's labor pains. Why? Because it's, it's there to give birth to something. It's painful to go through. As a guy, I wouldn't know much about that. I know that, but, but I'm told that it's, it's very painful to go through, these labor pains. Uh, but it, it's there to bring forth new life. And so if all, all the groaning of this creation, all of the things that we go through, the ultimate endgame of all of it, and God's design is to give birth to this new heaven and this new earth and, and, and us to have these transformed bodies and us to be made fit for the kingdom of heaven where God's eternal reign will be established forever and ever and ever. And then finally, all of the frustration, the futility, the matayotes of this present current age will be done away with, praise God. And then God will be all in all as he always intended. <sighs> if God is allowing us to go through a Good Friday experience of judgment and that Clearly, is what's going on right now for the purpose of having us arrive at this unimaginable glory that is in store for us. There's bad news in the short term, folks. It's likely going to get worse and worse at a faster and faster rate. But don't live in the short term bad news. Know that at the other end of things, after Good Friday, there's Easter morning. And that news is eternal and it's very, very good. So I want to close with this. Jesus, as he was facing this Good Friday experience, as he was facing the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat drops of blood. He was looking at an absolute nightmarish experience. He grieved over this judgment that was coming. And yet, in Hebrews 12, it tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. For the joy that was set before him. And that joy was seeing all that, all that his suffering would produce. What would be the outcome of his suffering? The joy was seeing you and me in fellowship with God and, and, and to see all of humanity and see creation being restored and finally reflecting the love of God as it was originally designed to do. And, and that joy is what motivated him, motivated him to endure the, the suffering of the cross and the humiliation and the shame of the cross. so what spurred him on. And I, I, I submit to you that this should be our attitude. It sounds paradoxical, but they're not contradictory to hold grief and joy at the same time. As we look at this current world that's intensifying in its chaos and intensifying in its pain, intensifying in its ugliness, its division, its polarization, intensifying in its climate disasters, it, it can't help but grieve our hearts. And we need to let that, that in. It, it, it's, it, it, how can it not grieve us? As people who are called to live in love, of course it grieves us. Nothing like it grieves God, but our grief should be a a little reflection of his grief. So yes, let the grief in. There's a time to lament the state of this world, the state of humanity, and how badly we failed at this job that God gave us. Lament that. But that's not the last word. In God's story, judgment is never the last word. Grief is not the last word. There's a joy that is set before us, folks. An unimaginable joy that is set before us. A joy that is such that it will render all the sufferings of this present age uh, irrelevant. Um, keep your eye on that joy. As as this world wobbles and chaos intensifies, keep your eye on this joy. When the pain seems unbearable and the, the, the grief seems unbearable, keep your eye on that joy. When it seems as though God's not around, when you feel like it's forsaken, where's God in all this? Keep your eye on that unimaginable joy that lies before us, because that's our motivator. And as the rest of the world starts to freak out, as they see that things are getting worse and worse at a faster and faster rate, and there's going to be panic and and. and, and fighting and whatever, can we be a people that are anchored in this joy that lies before us? I want to encourage us here with two things. Number one, always carve out time in your life to just focus on the joy that waits before you. Try to imagine the most beautiful state of affairs that you can imagine. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you with this. Uh, Because however beautiful you are imagining it, you've got to know that it's much better than that but at least you're going in the right direction. And, and, and spend time imagining it as vividly, as graphically as you can. Because the more, the more real like you envision things, the more real like it feels for you. And the more real like it feels for you, uh, the more it ministers joy and peace to you. The more confident you become. This is what faith is all about, Hebrews 11, verse one. Faith is the, uh, the substance of things that you anticipate. Seeing things as a substantial reality, as a concrete reality, and then having a conviction that it is so. And that was, that's what moves you forward. Faith is the substance of things you anticipate and the conviction of things that you don't yet see. The more vividly you see it, the more that conviction sets in and the more you can walk with joy and peace in the midst of a world that is intensifying in chaos. It means, folks, and just a reminder here: we need to be intentional about this. It's, it's good to daydream about heaven, you know, throughout the day, but, but there's a time where we need to have set apart where we commune with God uh, and, and, and let Jesus just love on us and, and, and maybe let the Spirit minister to us by reading the scripture and uh, having your devotional time. We all need that. Carve it out. Make space for it. And use part of that time to just envision the joy, the unimaginable joy that God has set before us. The second thing is this. In all things, God's working together for the better. Uh, that will prove true in the end with the final judgment. But it also proves true in our life as, as, as we're living in this intensifying, groaning world. Well, we ourselves groan. Paul tells us that. And we, 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 we enter hardships. We're not going to come out of this thing unscathed. No, it's already affecting us in, in, in different ways. And it's going to affect us more. And as this country wobbles, who knows where this country is going, we're all going to be affected by this. But whether you're dealing with then your personal finance problems or your personal health problems or your personal relationship problems, whatever the issue is, whatever aspect of the growing creation you're bearing, you're carrying, well, I encourage you to be working with God in that, to bring good out of that. God is already at work, always at work, to bring good out of evil. And so as you're going through this, ask the question— not just, how can I get out of this suffering? We of course, ask that. How can I fix this relational problem, fix this financial problem, or this health problem? Of course you ask that. But everybody asks that. Ask one more thing as a kingdom person, and that is this. How can God use this to make me fit for the kingdom of heaven, to purge for my life things that need to be purged, to free me from things that maybe I'm in bondage to, to develop characteristics in me that maybe I otherwise wouldn't have? I've shared before that for the last five years. I've had this back pain, which uh, it's, it's getting better. I'm up here standing. For a couple of years, I couldn't do that. So hallelujah. But you know, I've I, I, I hated it. Who, who would like that? It's miserable. Uh, you have to just make a decision all the time to not, get in a, not be in a bad mood. Because <laughs> it's always there. It makes you cranky. You know? But as I'm looking back on this, God has used it uh, to make me a different person. Uh, to get, I, I've been set free from things I need to be set free of. I, I, I think, and the one I asked is my wife, okay, I, the wives always know the true story. And I think Shelly would, would tell you that I'm a, I'm a, I move slower in a good way than I used to. I'm more patient than I used to. I, I take time for the small stuff. I used to always have a goal. I was always driven. I always had work to do. And, and, and now I'm learning how to be chill. And God has used this. I know, I, I, amen, amen. So when you, when, you, when you go through stuff like this, it's either, it's either going to make you, you know, grumpier or a curmudgeon, can send you down that path, or it'll make you better. Uh, it it, will, it will, And God is working in your life to improve you through this. So as you're going through these hardships, Paul says that all things work together. Synergo is the word. It means that we have to cooperate with God. There's a choice we make. Are we going to let this make us sour and bitter and whining and playing the victim and whatever else? Or are we going to cooperate with God and let him use it to make us more Christ-like? To purge from our life things that need to be purged. Because in the end, it's got to be purged. The only thing we take with us is our love, folks. And God, because God's always other-oriented love. God, God, God is invested in our flourishing, and he wants us to be now purging it now. So it doesn't have to happen later on. Work with the Spirit. God's goal, he's always on your side. He's always in your favor. His very, his very essence is other-oriented love. And I am, and you are, and we all are part of that other that God is so invested in. Whether we're going through the final judgment or going through just hardships in our own life, God's on our side, and he's for you, and as miserable as it is, keep your eye on the joy that lies before you. And keep your eye on what good God wants to bring out of your life through the hardships that you're going through right here and right now. Amen. 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 Final judgment's kind of an awesome thing. It's kind of sobering. It's kind of scary. But for the believer who knows who they are in Christ and knows what God's up to in this world, the other side of this bad news is very, very, very eternal, unending good news. Keep your eye on that. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, I want to tell you that. uh, Don't forget we have the MuseCast. Uh, at 4 o'clock on Tuesdays. Um, They go deeper with the message there. And Paul will be on this week, so you don't want to miss this. Uh, We have the gathering groups. We encourage folks to get in these gathering groups. I keep on hearing wonderful stories about things that are happening with these gathering groups and friendships that are being made and things like that. So you might want to check out those. Um, We have prayer available after the service. If you're in the house here, we have it up front. If you're online, we've got prayer online. And I encourage you to take advantage of that. Whatever burden it is, whatever thing that you're going through, don't do it alone. These folks would love to minister to you. And if you're going to be here next week in local local congregation, as we celebrate our 30th anniversary, it's going to be great. I encourage you to come and be part of this party. Um, But uh, uh, let us know ahead of time if you have children so that we can have enough children's workers uh, that are there for you. And let me just say, final words, I'm so proud uh, not in a bragging way, but I'm so proud of this congregation. I'm proud, I, I feel so honored to be part of this congregation that we raised $33,000 for the food shelf. I just, that, pour yourself out. As we see the day approaching, it's the time for us to be pouring ourselves in love, in love like never before. And time and time again, this community does it, and I'm just glad to be a part of this. You guys, as we leave this place, let's go out doing it with a commitment to loving God, loving our neighbor, who is anybody you come in contact with, loving your neighbor as yourself, and loving the earth and the animal kingdom in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. I love you.